You're very welcome back. You're listening to Scarif Bay Community Radio and this is Saturday Chronicle presented by John S. Kelly and uh, David Fleming and myself. And we have a guest, uh, not in studio, but we have a guest on the line and that is uh, Emily Roscombe. Emily, you're very welcome back. Thanks, Jim. Yeah, and I think the last time you, we couldn't talk to you because of the pandemic, and right. uh, I think you had to talk to us from afar. But uh, unfortunately, you're not in, in East Clare at the moment. At the moment, so. Um, but anyway, we're we're anxious to talk to you. I suppose, Emily, the last time we were talking, we discussed um, the, the whole area of um, emissions, animal emissions and uh, the harm that that can do to the environment. And I suppose it's fair to say you're part of a team that's, that's working on that, Emily. Yeah, so basically I'm doing a PhD with um, Chagask and um, NUI Galway, and my, my whole project is based on uh, reducing methane emissions and developing dietary feed additives to reduce methane emissions. Um, I suppose it's a very hot topic the last couple of years. Um, and with SA reduction targets from the Climate Action Plan, we have to reduce our agricultural emissions by 25% by 2030. So it is very important that whether it's in feed additives or by breeding or some way that we manage to reduce our methane um, from ruminants in agriculture. And I suppose, Emily, farmers, for example, will not want to see their their profit margins go down. They, want, they don't want to see their number of animals they have reduced they you know they want to to continue airing a living um but is the answer going to be partly reducing the number of animals and partly reducing the 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 methane um by other methods which maybe you're working on um yeah well i suppose by reducing the national herd you're obviously going to reduce anything, but I don't think no research is really looking at that and everyone is trying their best to find alternative options to reducing the national herd. And I don't think it is, um, well, it's not being looked at yet anyways. Like, there's still a lot of promise um, in the research that's ongoing. Mm. And, like, every project that's being conducted, like, to date, is there's always an aspect on greenhouse gas emissions um, and methane. Yeah. So, no, we are confident that we will get to the targets by uh, reducing methane and not by reducing feed the feed which cows take in has a fact has a big bearing on the emission from that cow is that a fact yeah yeah so absolutely so um, I suppose leaving research aside like even at farm level yeah farmers can reduce their methane emissions by just feeding say better quality feedstuffs by having say good grass damage management not by going into say very high covers of very strong fibrous grass um, so things that are more digestible and um, so say yeah lower grass covers and good grass management and also producing good quality silage and um, having say like um, high DMD silage that's be more digestible when the animals are inside eating that silage so like everything an animal eats um, would impact on the methane that they're producing. And what so like would, that's yeah, would, would farmers actually be generally alert to that reality? Or is it new um, to them? I think it depends. Sometime with our, like, we had an open day here in Chagas Green in um, early July there, and, like, there was loads of interest. Like, farmers were really interested in what they could do to help 
um, and what they could do at farm level and what's coming up like in research that might be brought forward to farm level so like um, and I really do keep in touch with the up to date research and then like there's kind of a, a range of farmers out there Okay, okay. Uh, Emily, uh, the during the big debate about reaching the target or deciding on the target of twenty five percent, one of the arguments that wa- was presented was that our research is not yet there; that we're a good a few years off. You know, when you're in the middle of your research, your PhD, um, and actually translating that research into action, d- would you subscribe to that notion that we're quite a few years off and that we're unlikely therefore to make meet the target which is what the farmers organizations were arguing at the time yeah like i suppose we're a good seven and a half years away from 2030 and we are still a few years off of um research like but we have come an awful long way say in the last two years like the acceleration in research in methane and emissions like, has just come on leaps and bounds versus, say, the previous 10 years where it's been coming in drips and drabs. So, like, the tempo has really been upped. Um, across the globe, like, a lot of the research into feed additives has been uh, feeding um, dietary feed additives throughout the day. So, like, in a TMR or a total mixed ration, say, where the silage, the concentrates, and the feed additives are all mixed together and the animal... So in America, that works great, like, or in feedlot systems where it's all mixed together. The animals are always indoors anyways. The animal eats it all day, and it reduces their methane all day. Like, you can, there are products available that you can just feed that every day to your animal, and their methane will be reduced by 30%. Um, but, like, that's not possible in Ireland because no. so our, we have, say, we're out grazing, say, yeah. A good part, a good part of the year. So you're not going to have your animals indoor eating silage just to reduce their methane emissions. So your um, particular so research is focused on the Irish situation. H- how do you see it? How do you see it working? Yeah. Like in an ideal world, you prove whatever you're trying to prove, and um, it it is adopted. Let's say as part of a part of a package of measures. Uh, how how do you see it working in the long term? Your, your um, so like, research. Yeah, so we've, like, I'm fee- currently feeding, I'm doing a, a big beef trial here at the minute in Grange, so I'm feeding, say, um, natural feed additives at the minute, so um, seaweeds and, say, oils, such as linseed oil, I can get onto them in a minute, but I feed them twice a day, so the animals are housed just for a kind of practicality, um, and they're just on a silage diet, so it's kind of mimicking, say, an in, um, a winter diet. Yeah. Of course, they're getting their concentrate twice a day. So, say at 8 a.m. and at 3 p.m., they get a small, like a portion. They get about uh, about 1.2 kilos of um, meal, and that has the additive mixed into it. Um, so, like that could be mimicking, say, a dairy system or a finishing beef system, where animals are getting a bit of concentrate once or twice a day. And you have controls. And, like, we are seeing you have controls. Yeah. A control group control. going all the time. Yeah. So. Yeah, so we currently have four groups, so like we have two seaweeds, we have an oil and a control group, and they're all mixed together in the shed, um, so we have a mm. system here in Grange where the animals are all fed, they can be group housed, but they're all fed individually, they all have, say, um, a transponder key on them, and only one key can open one door, so they're in a group housing system, but they can only go to one feeding box, so each animal gets a different diet in the pen. And then in each pen, we also have um, what's called a green feed system. So it's just, it's a standalone machine. 
um, and the animal just goes up to the machine as often as they want. Well, we restrict it to every four hours, otherwise they'd be there all day. Um, <laughs> and they they just um, a little like thirty grams of uh, pellet, thirty grams of nuts just drops just as a bait feed. Um, and this drops every 30 seconds uh, for about three minutes. We try to keep the animal there for three minutes. Mm. And it, it takes in all their breath and it measures their methane that way. Um, I was so just curious about the methane and how you actually measured it. Because it comes out both ends, doesn't it? Or only one end, does it? It's I, I think we discussed this the last time. There's 90%. <laughs> Uh, we, <laughs> <laughs> we have new listeners since the last day. Ninety <laughs> percent um, of methane is emitted um, through the mouth or by belching, the and then ten percent, yeah. So, like, we are we're capturing the majority of it. Yes. Um, and like, they're very accurate machines. Like, there's kind of proximity sensors, so it's only going to measure their methane when the machine knows that the animal's head is right in at the sensor. Like, they're very accurate, and what's very good about them is. The animal go like we have them limited to go every four hours, and they're very clever. Like they know once their four hours is up, they go back up to it and we'll feed them again. Yeah. So we get, uh, we kind of can capture what's called their diurnal methane pattern. So basically, like in the night time, they might produce a lot less methane because they haven't eaten in a few hours. But then they might go straight after eating, where they're producing very high amounts of methane. So that averages out to their proper um, daily methane production. Um, by taking an average of, say, the different measurements. Well, I'm just wondering, Emily, as well, we'll say the, the, is it possible to, the costs um, down the line to farmers, let's say you mentioned about additives to, to their diet, and also, you know, different ways of, of making silage, for example, and I think you, you described just a, or you mentioned just a different method of, of making silage, and um, and would, would there be cost implications for that? And, and do you look at that side of it as well? Yeah, so, well, I suppose the making silage and the grassland management, like, I don't see an added cost to that. There's only added benefits to that. Like, you're still going to be cutting your grass, kind of like, raking your grass, rolling your grass, baling your silage. It's going to cost the same amount, and the better quality it is, the more um, nutrition it's going to give to your animal. So, like, that's only going to benefit the farmer. Um, then, for the feed additives, yeah, like, that's going to be an added cost. Um, but, like, I know in some countries, like in Denmark, like, the government have, um, they have now have, they kind of pay, the, they have schemes that if a farmer feeds um, some of their commercial additives that reduce methane, mm. then they get paid back for that. Okay. So, like, that will probably come into play here, I would say, too. But uh, aren't we a little slow responding to that here at official level? Well, I suppose we have no real um, answers for it yet. Like, I think in, like, they might have confined systems um, in those countries that they can feed this throughout the day mm. indoors. Like, they um, like in, like... Yeah. Uh, in America yeah. and, and other places, like right. across most of Europe, actually, I think. Mm. And correct me if I'm wrong, Emily. Uh, many no, parts of I Europe, in Italy, for example, the, the animals are in all day, every day of the year. Mm. Isn't that right? Um, yeah, but it's like even in the south of France and different places, like they just haven't the climate to be growing grass yeah. for or nine or eight or nine months of the year, so like they can't have their animals outside. Yeah. So, is there a particular type of grass? that we could be looking at that has uh, less of a negative effect in terms of emissions? Um, Is that relevant at all? 
well, like I, most farmers would be reseeding with, say, like um, varieties of like perennial ryegrass and different varieties of perennial ryegrass. Like that is what most uh, pastures are made up of these days. Um, like, yeah. Yeah. I don't know really, to be honest. Can I, could can we go back? To, could we go back to the additives again? You meant, did you mention? Yeah. Well, I'd love additives. to know, John, Jim, Emily. What, what your, have you got any preliminary findings as yet? You have your four groups of cows and they're munching away and they're burping away 90% of the time, or at least 90% of the methane. Um, have, what have you found, or is it too early to say? Um, so our first feeding, so we say we feed the animals for, well, my feeding period is 70 days, 70 days, sorry. Um, so I finished my trial there last week, early last week, Um so, like, it's not all analysed yet, but we are seeing good reductions of, say, the oils. So, linseed um, oil. So, yeah, such as linseed oil, soya oil, rapeseed oil, are very high in polyunsaturated fatty acids. Um, so, if you feed an animal polyunsaturated fatty acids, it, it uses up hydrogen. Yeah. When they eat it, it uses up hydrogen in the rumen. Um, so, methane is, produced of carb is made up of carbon and hydrogen. So, if you're using up the hydrogen for something else, then they can't produce as much methane. Um, yeah. I don't know if that makes sense or it not. It does so, like that makes sense. That's, that's, um, that's working quite well. Now, like when, like when you say a good bit, Emily, do you think that will ultimately contribute to meeting our targets? You know, is it enough? You know, of course, your research is just one element of the thing. There, there are probably multiple um, factors in the entire solution, but, uh, like... Do you think yourself that it will play an important or significant part of, of meeting that uh, climb, uh, the methane reduction? Um, well, yeah, I definitely do anyways, and especially the fact that we're only feeding this additive twice a day, like that's, that's a very significant finding in itself that we can yeah. reduce methane. Um, like there is a product commercially available in like for dairy and beef in South America and a good few other countries. In Ireland, it's currently um, commercially available for dairy, and it will be commercially available for beef, I'd yeah. say, by the end of the year. And like that can reduce methane by 30%. Yeah. Does it doesn't matter the, the 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 type of oil. So you mentioned linseed yeah. uh, rape. You know, in the 18th century, this is the historian coming out through me. In the 18th century, we grew an awful lot of rapeseed, which we exported to the Dutch. Um, you know, and rape is, as I understand it, is that yellow, that yellow flower that you the see. Yellow flower. Yeah. yeah, and it makes a quite a dramatic impact in the springtime. But uh, does it matter the type of? Uh, uh, linseed or rape or whatever like are, are you finding that there are differences yeah so it's dependent on the quantity of polyunsaturated fatty acids in the oil so i suppose soy oil probably has the highest right. and then linseed then rapeseed but they are still all high enough to give yeah. a good reduction in methane i mean there um, could I be farmer, farmers might like to start growing these this could be a kind of a circular economy yeah. where farmers grow these it goes to produce these additives which are then fed to cattle that's a very important yeah because point, as you were saying like rapeseed can be grown in ireland mm. very well linseed can all, i think there's a lot of linseed grown in northern ireland like yeah, so of course and then like soy oil uh, that is, we're not like it's not grown here but like linseed and rapeseed would be the two really to look at um from a sustainability point of view 
and you'd like you have to be careful when feeding oils. Like we're feeding at about four percent of the animal's dry matter intake, so they might be getting about two hundred grams of oil a day or something just mixed into their ration. Uh, anyway, um, if you feed too, yeah. Um, what's coming at me is <coughs> increased costs for farmers. We kind of referred to this earlier. Uh, commercial if, if something is commercial it means the farmer's going to have to pay for it and that means yeah. it's, it's not an incentive okay we we've we have to have policies which incentivize farmers to engage that's in so many of the things you're talking about that's where the government policy is going to have to come into play but i suppose they need their answers from research first before they can yeah um, okay the second question i have because while, you, while i have you I better get it in because the, the, the mouths are open here in front of me. Okay, uh, I'm wondering, uh, do different breeds of cows produce different levels of emission? Um, well, it's all to do with the amount they eat. So typically a dairy cow eats more than a beef cow, so dairy cows would probably would do produce more methane than a beef animal. Um, but then breed-wise, like, there actually hasn't been that much research done into different, like, say, a limousine versus a versus an Angus. Um, That's your postdoctoral study. I, 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 I hear it already. It's a postdoc there. <laughs> what do you think of that, <laughs> coming from David? Uh-huh. That, um, yeah. So, I mean, anyway, there. is there such a thing as good silage and bad silage in the context of the emissions, subsequent emissions? Yeah. You're, you're saying yes to that? Yeah, yeah. Like, a poor quality silage that, like, any like any farmer will be able to see. Like, some farmers do get their silage analyzed. Like, um, silage that might be, say, 70% um, dry matter digestibility, you get that an analysis back from the lab, would be very digestible and, mm. like, will produce less methane than, say, a lower um, digestibility silage. Yeah. Okay. I'm just just wondering, Emily, and and the research that's going on. Uh, presumably, there the similar research is going on in other countries, and I'm just wondering, you know, as is there data being shared between, let's say, other EU countries, or is is Ireland a specific case in point because of our location and climate, etc. Um, no, like a lot of our projects are like um, in collaboration with different universities and research centres in Germany, France, Spain, Canada, New Zealand. Like we are, like all the researchers are working together. Like it's it's not just a problem for Ireland; it's a global issue. Um, and like it is, it is a very small industry when it comes down to that. Like you know, researchers from all over the world, nearly. Um, so. Like everyone is working towards the same goal. Yeah, but you did mention you mentioned a while ago, for example, that in this country uh, cattle are out grazing for a good bit of the time more than maybe other countries because we can grow grass for longer periods in the year. So I, I presume there's a kind of an Irish, you know, element to it as well, which mightn't be replicated in other countries. Yeah, so New Zealand would kind of be in the same boat as that as well. They'd have a very similar um, system than we would. So there's a lot of research in New Zealand going into, say, slow-release technologies. So they're basically you have your feed additive that works and that reduces methane, and you put it into 
a bolus. So like you might bolus your animal with minerals or something so that you put this into the animal, into their stomach, and it just releases over a period of months so that they're never deficient in any mineral. But what we are trying to, well, what they're trying to do in New Zealand is trying to put this additive into a bolus, give it to the animal, and that the animal can go out to grass for a couple of months, and you don't need to give them any concentrates or any additives, or you don't have to mind about that for a couple of months. Um, and we are working towards that as well. Okay. Like we have, we're working with a company um, in Galway. So I suppose there's a bit of a debate between natural feed additives and synthetic feed additives. Most people would prefer to feed natural additives like, I suppose, fats um, or oils and seaweeds, but um, the synthetic additives, are, they're much easier to control. Like, there's so much variability in seaweeds. Like, if they're grown at different times of year in different environments, they might have different nutrients in them. Whereas the synthetic compounds, like, you're always making them the exact same. And so we're kind of looking at trying to put synthetic compounds into um, a bolus as well. Um, like that is the long-term goal, and like we are making, we're making, we're doing a lot of lab work with it at the minute, and we're hoping to kind of try it out on animals yeah. um, next year, early next year. Emily, do you, do you see going back to the silage? Myself and John have a fascination about silage. Jim isn't so concerned about it. I've seen too much of it. <laughs> uh, there's two two questions here. Uh, when I was a young fella growing up in a farm. I don't think it's done much anymore. Uh, there were these enormous blue barrels of molasses. And this would be put onto the grass to sweeten the silage, ultimately. And maybe to preserve it, I don't know. Uh, they stopped doing that a long, a long time ago. Could, if something was developed which you could add to the silage, such as your additives, you're talking about nuts, I suppose, and things like that, but... Uh, could you add something to the silage, some, some of the things that you're developing? That's the first question. Um, the second question is, is kind of a bit more fundamental. Uh, if your if you're and other people's research is, is, proves the point that uh, you actually, it's through the feed and through uh, keeping the animals inside, could, could that be the future? That Because I know some farmers in Ireland keep their animals inside. They cut silage regularly during during the week and they, they feed the animals inside. Really? Yeah, it's not. It's rare, but I think that's happening anyway. I think I saw it somewhere. Uh, like, yeah, zero grazing. Some farmers zero that. grazing, that's right. That's what it's called. Zero grazing. Zero grazing. Do, do, could that be a potential future in Ireland? I'm just trying to imagine what the future might be. If you're... If you, if your additives solution is the one of the most more viable solutions, could that happen, or or is it more of what we're doing at at the moment? Um, so going to your additives for silage, there are silage inoculants out there, um, and I, there are some on the market, and there are some in research. So like putting, say, kind of things like lactic acid bacteria on silage yeah. um, before it's before it's, the pit is covered or before it's wrapped um, and that kind of it kind of nearly begins to break it down so that it's e more easily digested in the animal and reduces so, methane like, yeah so like that there is research going into that right um, I, I haven't done any work on it yeah but I, there is definitely research going into that like it, that's not going to reduce our like natural emissions by a whole lot but it will improve the quality of silage because a lot of silage in Ireland isn't 
great quality, like, um, but the future, no, like, I can't see mm. um, things being moved to an indoor system, like, what gives Irish agriculture its edge from a global perspective is our green grass-based image, and, yeah. um, like, that's what we're known for, like, even in supermarkets, um, in all other countries, like, it's, like, even Origin Green, like, that's what we're known for animals outside grazing grass, like, most of the year, so... I'm thinking, listening to, uh, listening to you, that uh, uh, costs are rising for this for the farmer. I I, I don't see uh, improvement without expenditure. Okay, expenditure. Costs are kind of rising for everything, though. <laughs> yeah, yeah, and we need more money available for research, don't we? Uh, in yeah. that whole uh, para area. Now. Is there, it, is there a possibility, do you think, that this could have an impact, a negative impact on the small farmer and that he would, or she, would opt out, sell out, and so we'd see a huge, if you like, change in the, demogra the, demogra the demographic side of rural Ireland? Okay. Am I making sense? Um. You are, yeah, well, I don't think the whole methane debate has anything to do with having, say, negative impacts on the small farmer. Like, I know that there is a lot of debate about that, and, like, the increasing cost of um, goods, but, like, I suppose that's across every sector that prices are increasing. Um, like, they're not, like, if um, an additive does become available or a different um, technology to reduce... Methane um, or greenhouse gas emissions, then like there will be incentives for that, and it won't like it won't negatively impact. I I don't think it will negatively impact. My last question: uh, Can can I envisage a, a situation where there can be an interference with the genetic makeup of of a cow, so that the end result is that that particular cow would produce less. Um, emissions like genetically modified yes, cows genetically, or <laughs> yes yes uh, well i don't yeah well like we're looking like there is a lot of research going on in animal breeding but that is purely selecting animals that perform better like a good cow and a good bull that produces a calf that's going to say produce more milk or that's going to grow faster but there's also been a lot of research done on say animals that produce that eat the same, grow the same, but measure their methane and like identify animals that produce less methane and more methane. So there there was actually a big study done here the last couple of years and they identified a thirty percent difference in methane between animals that eat that produce the exact same. Um, so that's based, that's purely down to genetics. So now I suppose the next step is to analyze each individual animal that produced less and that produced more and see like what it is in their genetics and then kind of to aim towards breeding the animals that have the lower production in methane. Oh, very good, yeah. But like I don't, I can't see a, say, a genetically modified animal but once the genetics, like this is still all fairly novel so once like the gen genetics is understood and like there will be a database for say lower emitting animals it'll be easier to say genotype animals and select for lower emitting animals that is Gosh. 
We're in <laughs> interesting times ahead, aren't we? Yeah. Well, Emily, I have to say you have made it very clear for us because, you know, none of us being scientists and we're <laughs> floundering with questions. We, we kind of want to ask questions, but we're not quite sure, you know, the, the right but, questions to ask sometimes. And we're trying to, we're wondering, I suppose, what, what our listeners might ask yeah. uh, if they had the chance to What do you think you? they would ask if they were... If if they were out the window outside the well I think it, it, costs would come into it definitely and, yeah. and we have explored that yeah. and the different thing listen Emily all we can say is first of all thank you for coming on again and giving us an update as to the work that's going on and what you're doing and um, it's been illuminating as far as we're concerned I mean I think we have a much better grasp of the kind of the work that's going on and the direction of that work than we had before we started. We would wish you all the best in your PhD studies and in your research and hopefully you know you will from, from a personal point of view you will you know progress and develop your career and um, we wish you you know all the best in that direction. Well thank you very much. <laughs> And, and thank you for having me as well. It's nice to explain the research that's going on because there is so much work being done. It's nice that um, people do know what's going yeah. on, that they know that we are trying to. Yeah. Would you say? Would you say to you're from Scarif? You went to the college here. You went on to UC. G was it NUIG? Uh, uh, UCD. I'm, UCD. I'm doing a PhD with NUIG, but I, I went, did my undergrad in UCD. Yeah. Would you encourage? Uh, students uh, to enter into that world you're now working in absolutely like um i suppose after leaving first i took a year out because i i just didn't want to go to dublin really um, and i worked for the year and every like no one not one person thought it was a good idea and everyone said you won't go back to college or you're not going to want to do that anymore but i i like i knew myself what i was going to do and what i wanted to do so I took the year out, I worked for the year, and that next September I went up to Dublin, and like I never looked back, like that's what I wanted to do. Um, and then even with regards to the PhD, like I wasn't sure what I wanted to do after college, and we kind of spent our last five weeks of college at home in lockdown, um, and there were very few jobs out there, and I was always interested in research, so I applied for the PhD and I got it and like I'm very very happy in it and like yes. the time well, is flying. Emily you're at the cutting edge I have to say it's one of the most topical things um, in uh, in being discussed around tables around cabinet tables and everything so uh, I join Jim and John in wishing you every success and f uh, success for your research as well a lot is depending on it no pressure <laughs> Yeah, I know the results can't come fast enough, anyways. <laughs> <laughs> Emily, many thanks for joining us today on Saturday Chronicle on Scarif Bay Community Radio.